It's all so complex and complicated. It feels so ominous. Horsemen? Seals? The mark? How did the early church understand it all, anyways? I don't know what to focus on or watch for. It feels like everything could be a sign, especially these days. Are we living in the end times right now? Is it about the future? Or maybe it's already happened and I missed it. What's God trying to show us? How do we know what's real and what's made up by Hollywood? Here's what I do know. I know that Jesus is faithful. His plan and God's timing are perfect. And I know what matters most is that in the end, he wins. Jesus wins. Hey, Sanctus Church, good morning. So glad that you're with us. And hey, we finally made it. Today we come to the most famous part of the book of Revelation, the Mark of the Beast and 666. I remember wondering when I was younger, what would that mark be? And would I even be able to identify it? And could I take it by mistake? See, so many Christians are afraid they'll be conned. They might lose their salvation, take that terrible mark by mistake. Now, I'm 46 years old. I've been a Christian for 43 years. And in the churches I grew up in, I heard that the mark of the beast was connected to the Pope and Freemasons and to the leaders of Israel and to the leaders of Islam. And I also heard it was connected to the European Union and it was connected to the United Nations. And it actually was to do with credit cards and barcodes and now RFID chips and cryptocurrency. And then very clearly, many people online have said in the last 12 to 15 months that, no, no, the COVID-19 vaccine, see, that's the mark of the beast. Okay, before we get to numbers and beasts and dragons, please, 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 let's all remember why the book of Revelation was inspired and given to the church. It's given to help us be followers of Jesus in our lives, in our cities, in our time. I love when a good friend of mine and a mentor, Daryl Johnson, simply stated this. I trust you're coming to see with me that Revelation is essentially a book on discipleship. Over the years, especially in the 19th and 20th centuries, people's approach to the book of Revelation is, has been sort of like it's a crystal ball. But it's not a crystal ball. It's a discipleship manual. Now, let me add, that's not to say that there aren't very strong future elements in it. Prophecy. No, no, of course there is. But that's not the heart of it. Discipleship is. So now we're at chapter 13. Finally, we're going to be given the full picture of what resistance really looks like and feels like against the church between the first and second coming of Jesus. Now, this moment brings chapter 11 and chapter 12 into full focus. It starts with Satan standing at the sea, which if you heard last week's message or the last series, you'll know about the sea now, that raging out of control water. But not just Satan. There are now two new dangers that are introduced to us. Not one beast, but actually there are two beasts. One's about to emerge from the sea, the other's about to emerge from the earth. Now, these beasts, this is important, are the powers that Satan uses to continue to attack the church between the first and second coming of Jesus, and they also keep all of humanity under Satan's control and sway. So you've got the dragon and the two beasts, and here's what we've got to catch right when we get going. They function like a false trinity. 
The dragon acts like God the Father. In chapter 4 of Revelation, we saw God in his fullness. And then last week in chapter 12, we saw how Satan wants to be and tries imitating God the Father. Remember Revelation 12, 3? An enormous red dragon, seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns on its head. And I said, did you notice the rebellion and the hostility and the pride and the false claims? Ten means complete. Seven means perfect. The dragon is saying, I'm God, I'm king, I'm perfect, I'm complete. I have real power. I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. And in other words, this is all an attempt to act like God, to be like God, and to take the place of God. Now, what we're about to see that's really mind-blowing is the first beast, the beast from the sea, tries functioning like Jesus. And the beast from the earth, which we'll get to later, tries functioning like the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the dragon calls up the first beast, and the description of the first beast almost feels identical to Satan. Of course, because Jesus and the Father are distinct and yet one. So the same here. Revelation 13, 1 reads like this. Read along with me. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns, seven heads, ten crowns on its horn, and each head had a blasphemous name. Now the beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had the feet of those of a bear and a mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Now this wild, overwhelming, like Lord of the Rings crazy image to us seems so strange, but every single Jew today or 2,000 years ago reading this would go, Oh, I know exactly what that is. I know where this comes from. Daniel talked about this all the way back in Daniel 7. Let me read it to you. It says in Daniel 7, 2, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was the four winds of the heaven churning up the great sea. There's that connection again. And four great beasts, each different from the other, came out of the sea. The first was like a lion. It had wings like an eagle. And then there was a second beast, which looked like a bear. Then verse 6, and then after that I looked and there before me was another beast that looked like a leopard. On its back it had four wings like that of a bird, and this beast had four heads. It was given authority to rule. And then verse 7, after that in my vision at night I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying, frightening, very powerful. It was different than the former beast. It had ten horns. So those four beasts that came up out of the churning dangerous water and Daniel's vision helps us to understand what John is teaching us here. Those beasts, if you read biblical history and just normal history, were literal empires, were real political movements. If you study Daniel, they end up being the country and the military movements of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and the last one was Rome. They all existed between the time of Daniel and the time of John. Now, what connects all four of them together? Well, they were great political military powers that really did exist. Now, the point is, they existed, and then they passed away. But then more have come and taken their place. How many empires and and political, religious, or military movements have come and gone since the time of Rome? Again, this is showing us how Satan and his principalities, powers, rulers, and authorities give power to movements we all know. Communism, Nazism, capitalism, colonization, nationalism, and that's just recent history. Grand military and political movements is just the beast taking another form. Now, hold on. Not all governments are evil. Not all political movements are wicked. 
But two things can be true at once. There can be evil and good. But here's the overarching picture that we're starting to learn here. As one wrote, John is opening up for us a sobering, unseen reality of the present. Governments which step out from under the rule of God never become divine. They become demonic. Governments that exalt humanity as the measure of all things to do become more humane? No, they become more like the beast. So just like there was Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome, the beast takes many forms today. I'm sure if Jesus doesn't come back soon, the great American experience or the Western movement might fall into decline. Another version might come, like maybe communist China will become the dominant worldview or maybe a democratically fused Hindu India or maybe some new global Islamic movement. I don't know, but here's what we've got to keep our eye on. The beast always tries taking the place of Jesus as king and Lord. Political and social movements, we are taught, they will save us and lead us better than Jesus. Well, the next part of the graphic image really starts showing us where the beast tries taking the place of Jesus. Verse 3, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but then the fatal wound was healed. And the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. And people worshiped the dragon because it had given power and authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Now, watch this. The beast, wounded and restored, wants the worship of the world. Let me just do this again. The beast, wounded and restored, wants the worship of the world. Why does this matter? Because this is literally how Jesus is described in Revelation 5. Oh, and there I saw a lamb looking like it had been slain. And then verse 9, And since you were slain with blood, you've purchased for God people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Oh, verse 13, Then I heard every creature say to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Be praise, honor, glory forever and ever. Amen. So the beast tries being Jesus, getting global worship, having global worship, uh, having global worship and getting global influence, just like the resurrected Jesus. The dragon acts like God the Father who gives power to the beast and the beast tries acting like Jesus, king of kings, ruler of the nations. Now, let me read verse three again. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound and the fatal wound has been healed. Now, lots of people teach that this is talking about the Antichrist and he's gonna be around, then killed and then resurrected like Jesus. But the problem with that is notice, the head does not come back to life. The whole beast is alive. The point here is actually the beast comes back again and again and again. It's resilient. It's all-consuming. It's all-powerful. Think about Rome in John's day. Such military and political and religious power. What could they do? Think about Christians living in communist China today with such military power and state power. The beast is resilient. The beast has power. The beast is fueled by the dragon. And that's what we need to understand. Now it says in verse 5, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and exercise its authority, there it is again, for 42 months. It opened up its mouth, to, its mouth to blaspheme God, to slander his name, his dwelling place, and all those who live in heaven. Like I shared two weeks ago, when governments or societies or social movements begin to blaspheme and attack God and attack his people, you know the beast is around. 
In other words, remember, we've had all these symbols like Babylon, Jerusalem, Rome, Sodom, Egypt, all representing the world systems. Well, for 2,000 years, Christians have been living in the belly of one version of the beast. Again, the beast represents the nations, the world systems, the worldviews, the social movements that do attack and gloat and persecute and mock and marginalize and malign and even kill the church. And this will be celebrated. It will be said, this is good, not evil. Oh, those Christians and their preaching, a call to their version of a holy life, their call for people to accept Jesus alone. They're so intolerant. They keep calling what I love sin. What a bother, what a torment. It's so good when Christians would be shut up or shut down or removed. They're on the wrong side of history. Fill in the blank, they're on the wrong side of. But the glimmer of hope here is that the reign of this beast or its influence is for 42 months. It's not a forever moment. It's a limited moment, but I still don't like what it says next. Verse 7, the beast was given power to wage war against God's holy people. Okay, huge stop. Who's allowing the beast to wage war against people like us? And notice, if you read the whole passage, it was given, it was given, it was given. Three different times. Well, of course, the dragon, Satan, gives these systems the power But in the end, what's really uncomfortable is that God gives the permission ultimately. You say, no, 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 that can't be. That can't be right. But it is. No, no, see, God is fully in control. Make no mistake about it. What do we read in Daniel's time in Daniel 4, 17? The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Jesus, during his trial, it's a really interesting moment where Pilate and him talk. Reads like this in John 19, 10. Pilate says, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or crucify you? And Jesus' answer is this. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. So disconcerting and so true. Let me read it again. Revelation 13, 7. The beast was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. So again, the church, those that follow Jesus as we live between the first and second coming of Jesus, will experience suffering, and we will also at points be conquered by the grand powers expressed by the beast in each generation. It's amazing how this promise in Scripture is on no one's, no, no Christian Instagram post. This is found on no Christian t-shirt, and it's definitely not in a Christian mug in a Christian bookstore anywhere. But it's true. Now notice again, it not only had the power to persecute or conquer God's people, it also had authority over people, every tribe, every language, every nation. Okay, we talked about this two weeks ago. We, we need to talk about this again. This is the same language that expresses the church in Revelation 7, 9. After that, I looked and there before it was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This again is so important. 
especially in 2022, but in every generation. Again, the book of Revelation keeps teaching us there's only two communities, there's only two cities, there's only two groups of humanity in heaven's view. All the divisions between us that are real, ethnic, gender, economic, socio-educational levels, that's true, but it's not the full story. We keep devouring each other within the church, but from God's view, there is only two peoples, two cities, two communities. Those who belong to the Lamb and those who already belong to the beast. And as we're about to see in this passage, each kingdom has its own mark, its own ceiling. You're either in the Lamb's book of life or you're not. You either worship the Lamb or you worship the beast. And if you worship the beast, you actually are worshiping the dragon, whether you know it or not, or even believe in Satan or not, is irrelevant. It's just true. Verse 8, all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain before the, from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, just let them hear. If anyone goes into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, the sword they will be killed. This is a call for, ready, patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. We're taken back to, again, living in this middle between the first and second coming. And like I keep sharing week in and week out, our security in the ultimate sense is untouchable. Our resurrection is guaranteed. The sealing by the Holy Spirit can never be removed until the day of redemption. But our safety isn't guaranteed. The war against the church is real. The suffering is real. Even the conquering is real. As much as the coming resurrection is real, as much as the vindication that is coming is real. I love when one person just said it like this. The threat here is power. The power of the state, the power of the employer, the power of a mob, or a virtual violence of an online mob. Sometimes we can escape this. We don't try to provoke opposition, but sometimes it's inevitable so our response as Christians must be patient, endurance, and faithfulness. So the dragon acts like God the Father, and the second beast tries replacing the saving work and the lordship and leading of Jesus throughout time and space, through different nations that take on different political and military and social moments. But the story's not yet done, because now we get to the next beast. And this beast comes from the earth. And this next beast comes and acts like the Holy Spirit. So this is the way to break it down simply. We move from Satan to politics, now to religion and spirituality. Verse 11 reads like this. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. Can you imagine going to a little petting zoo, get a little lamb, you're stroking it, everything is so beautiful, and then it turns around and looks at you, and a demonic voice of a dragon comes out? You would just be, it's like the worst horror film ever. But this is the point. This is mockery of Jesus and the Holy Spirit's role in his life. See, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus and empowered Jesus. In other words, so the second beast here empowers the first, verse 12, it exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, cause, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in the view of all the people. And because of the sign, because of its signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who wounded, who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Now, 
This beast has all sorts of religious connotations, power gifts, healing, miracle, empowerment, and later it's connected to the false prophet. So this second beast is religion. This second beast is spirituality. It's the institutions and beliefs and real experiences around them. It is the power, it is the breath, it is the blood that brings the other thing to life. When Jesus was asked about the end times in Matthew 24, it should not shock us. The very first thing that Jesus talks about is false faith. Uh, Matthew 24, 4, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. John, in his many letters, brought this up again and again and again. Second John 7, I say this because many deceivers who, <clears throat> many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver, is the deceiver and the antichrist. First John 2, 18, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. First John 4, 3, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, who which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. So the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the spirit of Antichrist can produce the same effects. Look like Jesus, act like Jesus, sound like Jesus, even do the miracles Jesus did, but not be Jesus. Satan is called an angel of light for a reason. Like we found it in our last series, spiritual conflict always happens in two arenas, worldview, doctrine, and experience. Spiritual warfare is intellectual, it is emotional, it is experiential. In other words, Hindus can speak in tongues and so can Christians. Where's the power source? A witch can genuinely heal someone and so can a Christian. Where's the power source? The source of power is the greater question. Well, it says in verse 15, the second beast was given power to breathe, uh, to give breath to the image of the first beast. So the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image be killed. It also forced all people, great and small and rich and poor and slave and free, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their forehead so they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is six, six, six. Okay, let's stop and step back to see the full picture and work this out. This is really important. You will never understand the mark of the beast until you compare it with the mark of the lamb. There are two marks in the book of Revelation, not one. All the way back at the beginning, let's start in Revelation 1, verse 4. Grace and peace to you from him who is, was, and is to come, God the Father, and from the seven spirits before God's throne, Holy Spirit, and from Jesus Christ. So there is the real Trinity. And the seven spirits of God is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Seven means perfection. Don't forget that. Okay, Revelation 5, 6. The Lamb, that's Jesus, had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out in all the earth. So the Holy Spirit is connected to the Lamb, Jesus. That is why in the book of John, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. And again, we're back to seven. It matters. Then later, as we've gone through this, we learn that all of those who follow Jesus between the first and second coming already have the mark of the Lamb now. 
all Christians have the mark of the Lamb between the first and second coming. And ready, everyone? It's not a literal mark. Remember in Revelation 9 when evil first sort of really came on the scene and the demonic were described like as scorpions and locusts and all this stuff? But it's, it's verse 4 that matters for us today. They were told not to harm the grass or of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. All Christians living between the first and second coming have the seal of God on their foreheads, the mark of the Lamb. Well, what is that? Oh, it's the Holy Spirit. It's not a literal mark. Here's how Paul beautifully articulated in, in Ephesians 1.13. When you believe, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So in other words, if you don't accept God through Jesus, you don't have God's seal. If you're not marked by the Lamb, 777, if you don't have the work of Jesus on you, you have no ultimate protection. And if you don't have the mark of God on you, then you already have the other mark on you from the other city, from the other community, from the false Holy Spirit. See, let me read this again. Uh, Revelation 13, 16. This beast forced all people to receive the mark on their right hand, on their forehead. That number is 666. Now, this, this really matters to us. Ready? In John's day, John would have caught this very quickly. 666, that number literally is the sum total of Nero, the emperor, his name in Hebrew. So for the original churches getting the letter of Revelation, and for John, Nero was the actual living example of everything I've just talked to you about found in one person. You've got the demonic present, you've got an out-of-control, ungodly military power, and you've got false religion all summed up in one person, Nero. So when they heard 666 and did the calculation in Hebrew, they went, oh, it's Nero. But many, many more have functioned like him across time. There's more. 666 is less than 777. Seven is perfection, six is not. That mark is not perfect. Another one is. In other words, here's what we got to catch. The mark of the beast is false religion. I love when one wrote this. The church is symbolized by pictures. The elders, the woman, the witnesses, and by the number 144,000. The church age is symbolized by pictures. A woman preserved, the witnesses preaching, the nations occupying Jerusalem, and the number three and a half years. False religion is symbolized by a picture of the beast from the earth and by the number six, six, six. You're like, well, well, but what about the head and the hand? Like it's going to be a microchip. No, 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 no. What you believe is how you act. What you believe is how you act. It's about your mind and your actions. Remember, the right hand in scripture means authority or action. So here's the light bulb moment. You're either owned by the dragon or you're owned by Jesus. You either belong to the beast or you belong to the Lamb of God. And right now at this moment, you either have the mark of the Lamb or you have the mark of the beast. And like we learned in our last series, when people do become Christians, that is, they switch allegiances, one mark leaves and the other mark comes. That's reality right now. In other words, you don't have to have 666 mark your life when the Holy Spirit's so much better and you can be marked in perfection. Now, because I know someone's going to ask me, 
Do I actually believe that there will be a person that comes in the future and fuses the demonic presence and politics and religion together? Do I think there is one who will come and literally be around, who will act like Christ and, and, and be like Christ and not be Christ? Do I think there'll be like a crystallization of the dragon and two beasts? In other words, do I think the Antichrist is real? Yes, of course. Scripture is clear that there is one coming like this. 2 Thessalonians 2.3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, a man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship so that he sets himself up in, God, sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. So yeah, it's coming. But like we saw in those first John quotes and second John moments, right? The real Antichrist will come, but the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well right now. So here's one of the most provocative and maybe a little too close to home, but needed for us right now. Trust in political movements and social movements will not save you, will not bring human unity, and will actually not bring healing. And oh, trust in religion and spirituality, what I do, what, what I, by my activities or my insights, I get God to love me, I connect with God. They will not bring salvation either. In other words, Jesus is the only one who can save you and save us in the fullest sense. This is not saying all politics is evil. Please don't say, and I could just hear it right now, well, you know, those conservatives, oh, the NDP, the Green Party, the, the liberals, you know, those Democrats, those Republicans, they're sure part of the beast. Whoa, hold on a second. The beast takes many forms on the right, left and the right. Trust me. He's out for the whole community, not just some. Romans 13 is pretty clear that we're supposed to pray for our leaders and pay our taxes, and it's okay, by the way, to vote, and it's even okay to be a Christian involved in politics. But here, here's the, the moment. No political movement, no social moment or movement, even, when good, even with good elements, is Jesus. The best movements can become the beast overnight. So with everything that we've heard today, and I know some of you need to take some time to work this out. And actually, everything we've heard so far, as we're living between the first and second coming of Jesus, again, like I said, I think last week, what did you not just learn today? Wow, that's interesting. I didn't know that. But what is the Spirit of God telling us, encouraging? What is He teaching us? Well, here's the first thing. Be cautious not to give your life to political movements. Uh, don't be uh, against them. Be agnostic. Don't put all of your energy and your power and your life and your money. Political movements don't save. Jesus saves. In other words, to bring this really home, you can be marked by the lamb and still be hugging the beast at the same time and think God's okay with it when he's not. I'm not talking about your salvation, but please be so careful. I think the greatest thing, though, is this. It's that one line. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness 
on the part of God's people. If there's one line that describes, actually, I would say the whole book of Revelation, what the whole application is, it's that line. What does endurance and faithfulness mean? Endurance means don't give up. Keep going. On what? On Jesus. Endure and be faithful to Jesus. Don't turn to the dragon for power, by the way. The amount of Christians I've talked to in moments of incredible pain where they've said even to Satan, well, if you can heal me or save me, maybe I can make a deal. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Don't give your full energy and life and everything to any political movement or any political leader. And never trust in what you do religiously or spiritually to change you. There's no power there. Endurance is following Jesus. And faithfulness means that we're faithful to the true Jesus. In other words, this is so incredibly important. Faithfulness is connected to knowing who the real Jesus is, but it's also faithfulness to the scriptures, to his word, to his will, to his views. The way we patiently endure as the dragon's time is short, like we found out last week, and he's incredibly furious, and as the beast of grand military social political movements take place, and there's false religion, grand and small, and spirituality everywhere, we have to be faithful to Jesus, to the Father, to the Spirit, and the word he has given us. In other words, we have to be molded by Scripture. Here's another thing maybe to reflect on in your own time with Jesus this week, or in your connect groups. So many of us just want Jesus to come back. Like just, just come back and end the beast and end the dragon and get rid of just, yep. But are we willing to put up with the dragon and the two beasts a little longer so people can be saved? Every single moment Jesus delays his return and we have to put up with being conquered and suffering and two beasts. But every moment there's a delay the window of grace and salvation is offered to our world. This is one of the best ways to view current suffering. Our suffering allows others eternal life. Lastly, let me just say this. Some of you aren't Christians, and I just want to encourage you to do this. Give up one mark for the other. You've, you've trusted your whole life in politics or self-sufficiency or spirituality or religion. No, no. Trade one mark for another. I, I, I love how Paul wrote this. This is um, from the message, but it, uh, it's just a, such a helpful way to hear this. Romans 3.25, God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear the world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifices of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is, this is not only clear, it's now. It's now. This is current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in his rightness. The invitation for you from another faith or no faith or is to actually ask for Jesus to put you in the clear, to mark you with his seal, the Holy Spirit, to forgive you of your sins and actually make you clean. Well, let's pray about a few things. Number one, thanks, Lord, that your word is always clear, always clear, always helpful, always rebuking, always comforting, always directing. A few things. Number one, would you help every Christian 
within the sound of my voice, faithfully endure till the end. Help us to persevere. Holy Spirit, help our church to endure well and be faithful well. Just help us. Number two, Holy Spirit, would you convict any of us where we have confused the lordship of Jesus with the beast of politics and social movements and military power. From the left or the right, just show us where we've become too close to the beast. And we repent. We're sorry, Lord. Help us to be involved, but not worship. There's other people that, Holy Spirit, you need to convict about that idea of being so involved in how we do what we do that we're saying, just help us to remove away from that, move away from that. Help us also, Lord, to just really view this in-between time as a mercy moment where it's difficult for us, but it is allowing others to meet you. Just, would you work that out? And lastly, there are other people who have never met you. Would this moment take place? Would they trust Jesus in this moment? And if you've never do that, just cry to Jesus. Say, Jesus, make me clean. Lord, help us to uh, walk and be faithful to the true Father, to the true Son, and to the true Holy Spirit. This is what we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.